It's great to have the honor to be here today. I, I don't know how much all of you really know about me yet, um, since we've only been here for about a month, I think. Uh, but it's been a good month. We've been getting settled in. We're living in Franklin, uh, in a townhouse out there. Um, but so just so you know a little bit of, uh, about our background, uh, my wife and I, we were, I mean, we're graduates of Frontier School of the Bible, which is a really good Bible college, by the way. Uh, and we lived in Indiana, uh, did a pastoral internship out there, and then was church planting in Ohio for a number of years. Uh, and so God has blessed us. It's been an honor to serve Him. Um, we're young, but God has used us. Uh, and so it's really right in line with what we're going to be looking at today about God's will for our life. And and uh, Pastor Bill had approached me and, and asked if I would participate in the series and, and speak a couple of times. So today's my opportunity. And uh, so I want to just thank Bill for trusting me with uh, the pulpit, with the Word. Um, and I want to make this as practical and simple as possible because when we talk about God's will we can get into a lot of fuzzy gray areas and uh, it can rub people the wrong way sometimes so I'm going to do my my best in heeding to the word uh, and if it rubs you the wrong way it's not me it's the word so we're going to be looking at uh, a few passages of scripture the first one that I hope you brought your Bibles. The first one, please open to, is Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be at a a couple different points in the New Testament today, but we're going to begin in Galatians chapter 1. Just so you know, there is not a PowerPoint up here, okay? Uh, Only the handouts that were handed out here. So uh, I've basically put on that handout, if you follow it with me, step by step, you will have my entire sermon. All right? So you'll be able to look at that tomorrow, a year from now, three years from now, and you should be able to remember exactly what we talked about. And that's my goal in giving that handout to you that way. But let's read a couple of verses, and then we're going to pray together. Galatians chapter 1. Just notice with me verses 3 and 4. These verses are kind of overlooked a lot because they're the introduction to the book of Galatians. But let's notice what it says. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. All right, so let's go ahead. If you would please bow with me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you. Thank you for your presence with us. I thank you for your word with us. I thank you for your spirit in us. Lord, it is such a privilege and an honor to gather together here, not only in a free country, in the state of Idaho, in the city of Preston, but to gather here in this building you have provided to study your word. Many, many people all around the world can't do this. And they hide at night and by a light of a candle read your word. But we in the daylight can study it. Thank you for this privilege. I pray that we will not abuse it. I pray, Lord, for whatever you will uh, accomplish here, here today. 
I ask you to accomplish your will perfectly in our hearts and minds. And I thank you for it and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oliver Wendell Holmes, he made a wise observation once, and this is what he said. I find the great thing in this world is not so much where we're standing, but as in what direction we're moving. The question that's before us today, it's at the top of your handout, in bold, in italics, so that you will read it and so that you'll know what we're looking at here today. The question is this. How do we know we are walking the path God has laid down for us? Now, I don't know who wrote that question, and I don't know if you're here today and you wrote that question. If so, I commend you. This is a great question. This really shows that you are really thinking and you really want to know what is God's word? What does his truth have for my life? Just notice the question, how do we know? It's assuming that I can know. How do we know we are walking the path God has laid down for us? It's also assuming God has a path. God has a will. God has a purpose for our life. And that's what we're going to be devoted to here today. It's a great question, and I believe it's one that Scripture gives us good counsel on. Now, I've heard this question phrased in a lot of ways. Um, It seems that the heart of it is this. How do I know God's will for my life? That's basically the heart of it. How do I know God's will? How do I know His desires for me? Am I living how God wants me to live? Am I doing what God wants me to do? How do I make a decision? That's what God wants me to do. Now, there's a couple of characters in the Bible, a couple of great guys, a couple of great guys in the Old Testament. I'm just going to mention them here by way of an illustration so we all get on the same page on where we're going here today. The first guy's name is Enoch. You heard of him? Enoch. There's only a few verses that mention him. In the book of Genesis chapter 5, and these verses are actually in a genealogy. It's saying so-and-so had this son, and this son had so-and-so, and and this son had this son. And and then all of a sudden, and Enoch had Methuselah. And this is what it says about Enoch. Genesis chapter 5, it says this. You can just listen. Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Wow. 365 years. Every day of, of the entire year was a year of his life, basically. He lived to be 365 years. Obviously, we don't today. And that just shows how far we've come since the fall in the garden. And it makes us think about the pollution of sin in the world, too. We'll get to that. But this is what it ends talking about Enoch. It says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Kind of scratch our head. What is that talking about? But just... What was the two phrases? What what was the phrase that was mentioned twice? Enoch walked with God. That's what's repeated. So this is his reputation. This is what he's known for. This is the characteristic of his life. Enoch walked with God. Now, Enoch didn't live back in the Garden of Eden. Last week, Pastor Jeff uh, gave a great sermon about prayer. And he mentioned this idea. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, right? It was a perfect environment. There was no sin, no pollution of sin, no stain of sin. They could enjoy this communion and this fellowship and talking and walking literally with God. But Enoch isn't in the garden. In fact, he's living right before the days of Noah 
in the days of immense evil. And yet, Enoch, out of everybody in the world at the time, was known as being a man who walked with God. He didn't live in a perfect environment. He wasn't perfect. He was a fallen, sinful man, just like us. We are sinful people. But Enoch walked with God. Uh, that phrase, and he was not, for God took him, theologians and people who study the Bible say, basically what that means is he didn't physically die. He didn't physically die. He was raptured, he was caught up straight into heaven because he walked so closely, you could say, intimately with God. That God just took him home. Kind of like Elijah in the fiery chariot. He was known for being a man who walked with God. So if there's anyone in the Bible that you could say was characterized as living in the will of God, it would be a man like Enoch. Right? It would be a man like Enoch. Second man, Noah. Noah. And he lived only a little time after Enoch. But this is what it says about Noah in Genesis chapter 6. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. There it is again, huh? There it is, right there. Just a chapter later from talking about Enoch in Genesis 5, it says Noah was a man who walked with God. Now, we know about Noah, right? He was given this huge responsibility of building an ark. He was a preacher to the people. You've got to turn from your sin. Get in the ark. It's the only way of salvation. It was a picture of Jesus Christ being the only way of salvation. And Noah was a man who was known among the people. He was known by God as one who walked with God. Now Noah also lived in a polluted and very gross world. If you are familiar with the account in Genesis 6, you know this. It was very gross. People lived and flaunted their sin on the streets. We think today's bad. It, it was nothing compared to this. It was really bad. God, in fact, when He looked at mankind in Noah's day, this is what He said. Every intent of the thoughts of man's heart is evil only continually. That's the day and age Noah lived. So he couldn't come to a church. There wasn't a church back then, but he couldn't come to a church, see a pastor like Pastor Bill, and see a good godly example of what it means. He couldn't open up the Bible. The Bible wasn't even written yet. All he had is what God spoke to him with, and he believed it. He acted on it. That's all he had. And God didn't speak to him very much. Sometimes years went by before God spoke to him again. What a privilege you and I have. We don't have to wait 40 years for God to speak and tell us something next for our life. We have 66 books that's inspired right in our hands. Now, Noah was a man who walked with God. He was given some crazy responsibilities, really. Building an ark. It's going to rain. Wow, it's never rained before. What's that mean? But, yep, I'll obey you. I'll do this. I'll walk with you. I think... Oftentimes, we as Christians today, we really complicate what it means to know God's will. We really do. It's almost like we think it's this dot we have to really figure out, you know. And if I'm not doing this, then I'm out of God's will. That's, I'll just share with you honestly, what I've been studying in Scripture is not what I see concerning the will of God. 
a lot of times Christians think today God's will is this mystery. And I'm like a Sherlock Holmes or a John Watson or John Watson, James Watson, Dr. Watson. That will work. Like a Sherlock Holmes or Dr. Watson, he's got to figure it out, right? So I've got my sleuthing capabilities and I try to figure out God's will. Or it's this hidden code. So I search through the Bible and I say, well, there's this word and there and then I flip over here and there's this word and, and that means Jesus is coming tomorrow. No. No. It's not some hidden code. And sometimes people think it's this great unknown thing that I bl- beg and I plead, go oh God, show me. And I mean, people cut themselves. God, I'm, I'm giving you my blood, show me. Or people come forward to an altar and beg and they'll raise their hand. And they show all these emotional signs. They'll jump up and down in a service. God, come and meet with us. We need you. God's already there. There's so much confusion when we think about God's will for our life. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever needed to make a decision or something in your life and, and you think, I just wish God would just speak to me and tell me what I need to do? Have you ever thought that before? I have. In fact, my wife can attest to this because I say it to her. Uh, I, I say, you know, Beth, I, just, I wish God would just speak to us, you know. Uh, just tell me what we're supposed to do. But then again, when I look at Scripture, that's not what I see. That's not what I see of what our attitude as Christians of today, in this church age, what we need to be focused on. We need to be focused on what God has already revealed and then use the wisdom He gives us to make decisions for our future. We'll look at this here together. Now, the question is a great question. How can we know God's path for us? In the Bible, it has different phrases for this. It's not just God's will or path. In fact, in the book of Psalms, throughout Psalms, it usually refers to it as the way. God will give you a way. In fact, we read in Proverbs today that uh, we will walk in integrity. So sometimes there's the idea of a walk or living. Uh, Sometimes in Proverbs, it's called the path, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In the New Testament, it's usually referred to as God's will. It's usually what it says. But in the book of Hebrews, for a Christian, it has a unique term. And that term for our life is our race. Our race. It says that God has set a race before us. That's the same idea. It's a path. It's a direction. It's God's will. It's something that God has for us, for our life. And it's worth mentioning here, my race isn't your race. My life path that God has for me and my future, it's not the same as your life path. So what does this mean? We don't walk around with turbans on our heads and all the women look the same with burqas on their faces. Because we all go the same way. We all have to do the same exact thing. We have to say the same exact thing. We have to live the same way. No. God made us individually. Do you know that God formed you? He knit you together when you were in your mother's womb. And even when you were in your mother's womb, God already knew the number of your days. Beth's grandma came to visit us in Virginia Beach, Virginia one time. And she was very worried about flying. It was when Ebola was going crazy. Ebola was in Texas and she was landing in Dallas, Texas. And she thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die with Ebola. I just know it. But I love Matt and Beth, so I'm going to go visit them and die with them over in Virginia Beach. I mean, she she was panicked. But right before she left, 
her daughter, who's a pastor's wife, said, Mom, you know, God knows the number of your days. If you're going to die when you go visit Matt and Beth, what a better way to go? Then go die. Go visit them. If you don't die, then God knows the number of your days. We have to keep this in mind when we think about our life. We get in this little box and we think, what am I supposed to do? And how am I supposed to live? Just listen to these verses here. Psalm 139. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, O God, before one of them came to be. Just think about that. All the days of your life were written down in a book in heaven according to Psalm 139.16. God knows what's coming up for you. Another verse, Job 14.5. Man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So God isn't this ambiguous God up in heaven who thinks, all right, I wonder which way they're going to go here at this fork in the road. I wonder if Matt's going to get a job at Starbucks or Walmart, and I wonder where that will lead him. I don't really know. Let's see. God's not on the edge of his seat waiting to see what we're going to do. He knows. He knows. In fact, Job 14.5 says he knows it down to our months. I don't know what's going to happen next, I don't know, tomorrow. I'm supposed to work. But I don't know what's really going to happen. I could get hit by a car on the way and die. I could wake up in the morning and be completely sick and I can't go to work. I could get a phone call from someone and it can change my entire life. I don't know what's happening, but God does. Now, I'm not mentioning this to raise thoughts of how much control God has. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to comfort you. Because there's nothing that comes in your life that God doesn't already know about. It might surprise us, but it doesn't surprise God. And it's very important for us to remember, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. It's our responsibility to understand what is my responsibility in light of what God has shown me in the Bible. What is my responsibility in light of who God is? So that's what we're going to look at here today. I'm, I'm, I've broken it down as simple as I can. We're going to be looking at three elements. I've, I've labeled it. I'll explain it here in a moment. But in Romans 8.28, it's a verse we like to just quote, isn't it? For God works all things together for good, for those who love Him, those who are called according to His purpose. That just rolls off our tongue, especially when we face some disaster or some problem. Well, God's going to work it all out for good. Who's good? Who's good? God's? Yours? And then what do you mean by good? A perfect life? Wealth? Health? Prosperity? Or a close walk with God? Despite your wealth? See, we need to understand what does God really mean here? And the key, the key to us walking in God's will for our life really comes down to the same thing it did for Enoch and Noah. Fellowship. Fellowship. Through the mundane days of our life, even to the big decisions that we face in our life, the key to walking in God's will is maintaining our fellowship with God. That's the first blank on your page. Maintaining fellowship with God. 
This is the key statement of even everything I'm going to say. So right now, you know everything I'm going to talk about right now. Fellowship with God. Now, what do I mean by fellowship? I don't mean two fellows standing in a ship, okay? I don't mean two guys in a boat. Fellowship means communion, unity. Uh, It means harmony. It means joint participation. It's just like a husband and a wife. It's just like a husband and a wife. Uh, A husband and wife, they're supposed to be what? Committed together. They make a commitment together. They're supposed to communicate together. They're supposed to have harmony together. They participate in life together. They're unified. They're no longer just seen as two separate individuals. They are now one flesh. They're unified. That's the idea of fellowship. And we're going to look at that in regards to God. So the key to walking in God's will is how close am I with God? Do I have a relationship with God? And these three elements we're going to look at is in order for us to have assurance that I can walk in God's will. I can have assurance that I am doing what God wants me to do. Element number one. God's provision for fellowship. Element number one, God's provision for fellowship. The verses that we read before we prayed, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Just listen here. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Why? How's the verse end? According to the will of of God. You want to know God's will for you? It's right there. It says it. This is according to the will of God. What is grace and peace to you? What is Christ gave himself for you? Why? To deliver you. Let's look at that. Let's ask some questions and look at this really quick. Question number one. Who can have fellowship with God? Who can have fellowship with God? Answer those who are saved. That's exactly what it's saying. Those who are saved. Notice here it says grace to you and peace. We can have grace and peace from God. Very important though, what's the order of those words? Look, look in your Bible. What's the order of those words in verse 3? Galatians 1.3. Is it peace to you and grace? No. Grace to you and peace. You know the Bible's inspired down to the very words. So we pay attention to it. Grace and then peace. Why? Because unless you first experience the grace of God through Jesus Christ, you cannot have peace with God in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. It's exactly what it says. Unless you experience the grace of God first through Jesus Christ, you cannot have fellowship with God, peace with God. So let's start there. Let's start at understanding what is God's will for my life? This is the beginning point. Verse 4 even says, this is the will of God. This is according to the will of God. What is? That you will be saved. The word in my translation is deliver. In verse 4, to deliver us from this present evil age, it's the same thing. Deliver. Save. Salvation. Save from what? Evil. Evil. So God is offering us Grace, which means a gift. An undeserved favor. I don't deserve this at all. Because in Romans 3.23, what's it say about us? We've fallen short of God's glory. 
All of us. We've fallen short of God's glory. Romans 6.23. What does that say? The wages of sin is death. Death means separation. When I physically die, my spirit is separated from my physical body, and that's what's buried in the ground. Death means separation. So what I deserve from my sin is separation from God for eternity. That's what I deserve. It's like we're all in a flowing, raging river. And we're all headed to a lake that burns with fire. Every single one of us. The moment we're conceived, actually. That's what David said in the Psalms. The moment I'm even in my mother's womb, I'm in this river headed to the lake of fire. There's no way we can get out. But, someone has to throw us a lifeline. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Grace and peace. Grace is something I don't deserve. So God's offering to make peace with us. He's offering to have a relationship with us. So, question number two, how can I be saved? If it's God's will for me to be saved, how? How can I be saved? Question number two, the answer is, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ gave himself for my sin. That's exactly what the verse says. Galatians 1, 4. He gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. If sin is what separates me from a holy, perfect God, and what I deserve is that separation to carry on into eternity, I need someone to step in and bridge the gap. The only thing that can do that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You ever wondered in reading the Old Testament, why is there so much blood? You ever think of that before? Slaughter this animal. Slit the throat of this animal. Spread the blood here. Put the blood on your forehead. Put the blood here. Put, put blood all over these things in, in the tabernacle or in the Holy of Holies. You ever wonder, why so much blood? Because without the shedding of blood, my friends, there's no forgiveness for our sin. It's graphic, but it's true. Why? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Life for life. What I deserve is death. Eternal separation from God. The only way to get me out of that death penalty is life. And Jesus had to shed his blood for us. If he didn't shed his blood, our sin would not be covered. So if we consider, how do I know if I'm in God's will? Right here it says, God's will is that we be delivered from evil. To deliver us from this present evil age. To have grace and peace. So the simple question is, have I received that grace? That's the simple question. Am I saved? If you say, I don't know, or no, then you don't have fellowship with God. You are not in God's will. Plain and simple, black and white. That's, that's Galatians 1, 3, and 4. Question number 3. When can I begin fellowship with God? The moment I believe. The moment I believe. Notice the order of words in verse 3. Grace to you and peace. It doesn't say grace to you. Receive salvation and then you've got your ticket to heaven. Congratulations. Meet Peter at the pearly gates. No. Grace and peace. When you receive the grace of God, you have peace with God. That's the beauty of our salvation. I can't, I can't get away from verse 4 that says, He gave Himself for our sin. Do you realize Jesus voluntarily chose to do that? 
He voluntarily hung on a cross, shed his blood, and it even says in Scripture he voluntarily gave up his spirit so that it was separated from his body and his body died. He chose to die for our sin. So the simple question that we must begin with, am I in the will of God? Have I believed on Jesus Christ as my Savior? I'm not asking any other question. Just that. I'm not asking, do I go to church or anything else? Have I believed on Jesus Christ? If you can answer yes, then we can move on to element two. If you can answer no, then you need to stop right now. And you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you're raising your hand or you're coming forward. That means in your heart, you're admitting to God, I believe. I believe He gave Himself for my sin. The moment you do that, you've received the grace and you have peace. Peace with God. Let's move to element number two. Now that we can have fellowship with God through Christ, we can walk in the will of God. How? I filled in the blank for you. (laughs) I thought I'd help you out there. Element number two, walking in fellowship with God. Walking in fellowship with God. So now that I'm saved... I can have fellowship with God. But let's be honest here. Every Christian that you see, do you look at them and think, wow, they're just like Enoch and Noah, man. They're just walking with God. Really. What's the biggest excuse of a non-believer to come to church or to trust in Christ? All the believers are hypocrites. That's the biggest excuse. So let's be honest with ourselves here. Just because I have fellowship or I can have fellowship with God, the peace of God, by my faith in Christ, doesn't mean I maintain that. It means I'm saved. But it doesn't mean I'm walking with God day in and day out. So how do we maintain our fellowship with God like Enoch and Noah? Turn a couple pages to the right to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians for the rest of our time now. 1 Thessalonians is just a couple pages to the right. And notice with me in chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Question number one that we're going to ask now is, how do I maintain this walk with God? Is who can walk in fellowship with God? The answer is right here. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. Just notice the beginning. For this is the will of God... Your sanctification. Stop there. You want to know God's will for your life? There it is. This is God's will for you. Your sanctification. Now, what does that mean? The answer, by the way, those who are being sanctified is the blank for question number one. Those who are being sanctified. What does that mean? Sanctify means set apart. Death means separation, right? Sanctify means set apart. And always in Scripture, it's in a context of being set apart from something, set apart to something else. You follow me? It's pretty simple. This isn't a brain surgeon here. Okay? This is setting yourself apart from something to something else. I'm taking off this shirt. I put on a new one. That's sanctify. Setting apart. All right? So those who are being sanctified, for the Christian, there are a couple of aspects to sanctification the Bible talks about. 
I'm just going to touch on these so we all stay on the same page. The first aspect is the moment you believe on Jesus Christ, you are sanctified, you're set apart in a position before God. So when you stand by yourself, without your family, without your friends, by yourself, in front of a holy and perfect God, you now have been set apart from an eternity in the lake of fire to an eternity in heaven. That happens the moment you believe. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you're set apart. This is called positional sanctification, if you want to know. Your position before God now is you are not headed on that raging river into the lake of fire. You've been pulled out by Jesus Christ. He sent you a lifeline out of everyone else around you, and He pulled you out. And when did He do that? When you believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior. The second aspect is what's called progressive sanctification. And that means you are growing more and more. It doesn't mean selling insurance to people who have motorcycles. Progressive. Progressive sanctification means you are progressing step by step by step. You're moving forward. That's what it means. And sanctify means set apart, right? So step by step, you are setting yourself apart more and more from an ungodly life to a godly life. From the dark to the light. You are walking not more in darkness, in sin. You are now walking more in light. Why? Because God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. So... The idea of being sanctified means, question number two, and the answer, growing day by day in truth. That's the answer. You want to know God's will for your life? Get saved. Salvation. You want to know God's will for your life as a Christian? Be growing daily in your walk with God. This is God's will for you? Your sanctification. Your sanctification. Be set apart from evil. Jesus prayed for this very thing for you and me. Before we were born, before our parents were born, right before He died, He prayed for you and me. In John chapter 17. In fact, John 17, 17. Pretty easy to remember. John 17, 17. This is what Jesus prayed to God the Father for you and me. Sanctify them, speaking of you and me, by your truth. Your word is truth. You know, a lot of people will talk about being relative today. There is no truth. The truth is God's word. Jesus says it right here, John 17, 17. Your word is truth. But he prayed, sanctify them by your truth. So what's that mean? I can be set apart and grow in my walk with God by what? Knowing truth. Living truth. What's the truth? The Bible. God's Word. The 66 inspired books of the Bible. Nothing more and nothing less. Now, if that's what Jesus prayed for us, it's pretty important, don't you think? It is pretty important. Now, the hinge isn't, are they going to heaven or hell if they don't understand the Bible? If they don't live like a Christian? No. You've got that settled the moment you believe on Jesus Christ. You're saved. 
But now, what's God's will for my life? Wouldn't it be great if the moment you believe on Jesus Christ, God just took you to heaven? Don't you think that would be great? I think that would be awesome. You know? Every time someone believes, poof, they're gone. They're up in heaven. You know? And there we are in our home for all of eternity. But it doesn't happen that way. Why? Because God has a will for your life after you're saved. And what is that will? To be sanctified. To grow in truth. Now let's look at, at what this means. First Thessalonians talks about this topic of growing walking with God. So we're just going to notice a few verses here. If verse 3 says, this is the will of God, then what's it say right before that? Let's look. For, uh, uh, verse 1 of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Huh. That sounds pretty similar to the terminology we're talking about, doesn't it? Abound more and more. Excel still more. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God. So abounding more and more, progressing in our walk with God, is just like raising children. If you have any siblings, you, even, you, you know this. If you have children, you definitely know this. Right? When you first have that child, you take care of everything for them. You feed them, you clothe them, you change them. Do you want to do that for them the rest of their life? I would doubt so. I I would highly doubt. Your goal is what? That they grow and develop. They start eating Cheerios. Then they start pulling themselves up on the furniture. Then they start cruising. And you think, oh boy, I can't wait for them to crawl. And then they're crawling. You think, I can't believe I wanted them to crawl. And then they start taking a few steps and you call grandpa and grandma and you pull out the video recorder and they're taking steps. And then the next thing you see, they're walking across the podium receiving a graduation certificate. Next thing you see, they're walking down an aisle and you're handing them off. That's your goal as a parent. That they grow and develop. And one day, you've got little grandkids and you see them grow and develop. Just think about that with God. That's how God sees you as His child. He doesn't want to spoon-feed you mushy applesauce the rest of your life. He wants you to be able to feed yourself and go from milk to solid food, understanding simple truth in Scripture, and then day by day, moment by moment, Sunday after Sunday, I learn more. God, how do you want me to live? How can I walk with you? What does it mean for me to be saved? How can I show that to my friends and my family? Now, there are a few examples we're going to go through very quickly. Are you ready? You got your seatbelts on? This is pretty quick. We're going to walk through a few examples. These are not rules, okay? These, this is not a list of rules that you're going to put on your fridge and think, am I doing this today and this today and this day? Okay, I'm a good Christian. Great. I'm glad I got that checked off. No. These are examples. Just like we see a child start walking, right? They start feeding themselves. They start. We see these stages in their life. This is what it is for you and me as a Christian too. And it starts in verse 1, right here that we just read. It says, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God. Example number one, walking with God. Walking with God. You're walking in a way that's pleasing Him. You're walking in a way that's not pleasing your own sinful desires. So a simple decision in life. What's God's will for me to watch this movie? This is, it's a legitimate question. 
What's God's will for me to watch this movie? Well, ask yourself. Would I love it if Jesus came back right now and found me watching this right at this moment? If no, then why do I want to fill my mind with that? I'm a new believer. Well, why do I want to live in darkness? Reading this book, does it have material that is according to pleasing God? If not, why do I want to fill my brain with that? I'm a new creation in Christ. He shed his blood for me. Why would I want to fill my mind with that? It's not rocket science. God, do you really want me to watch this movie or not? Should I go show my friends? They, they speak of God every now and again, but they've it's got some raunchy stuff. But it's okay. Is it? It's just a simple question. Example number two is knowing Scripture. Verse 2 says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul here is writing, right? He's speaking of commandments that the Lord Jesus specifically gave him to give to the church. Where do we find Paul's commandments from, from Jesus Christ today? In the Bible. Specifically the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Corinthians. Maybe Hebrews. It's reading Scripture. Knowing Scripture more. Uh, example... Number three, having joy. For this, just turn the page over to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. This is the easiest verse to memorize right here. All right? Rejoice always. That's the verse right there. I think we could memorize that for this week and come back and recite it next week. You think we could do that? Yeah, I think so. Rejoice always. So, example number three, having joy. Just ask yourself, from when I trusted in Christ as my Savior to today, do I have more joy today than before I trusted Christ? Pastor Jeff talked about this last week. Uh, I think he used an illustration of a joy uh, speedometer or, or tank or something like gas tank maybe. A simple question. Do I have more joy today than when I trusted Christ? Example number four. Praying more. Look at verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Another easy verse to memorize. Pray without ceasing. So do, am I praying more? Am I actually talking with God? Guys who are married here. Uh, if you don't talk to your wife, you've got serious problems. Right? Yeah, why? Well, all the wives are nodding. The guys are just looking at me with a blank stare. <laughs> we have to talk. We have to communicate. Prayer is talking with God. And it says, pray without ceasing. That simply means, it's not meaning I'm praying all day long. It means, is my line of communication open all the time? If I've just got two seconds to say something, God, help me. Is that line open? Or is there something in between like sin? That separates me from God. Do I pray more? Another last example is having thankfulness. Notice verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. You want to know God's will for you? Give thanks in everything. Pray more. Have more joy. Grow in your sanctification. Grow in what you know of the Word of God. This is the will of God for you. Grow. Develop The sign right there on the window for the church, learn, grow, serve. That sums up exactly what's being talked about. Progressive sanctification, learn scripture, grow in the Lord, serve the Lord with your gifts that he's given you. Now, a very legitimate question, question number three, why? 
Why should I be growing in my sanctification? Look at verse 23 there in chapter 5. Now may the God of peace Himself, a God who gives us peace, and He is a God of peace, may He sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All I'm going to say here is this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. It's a fact of Scripture. Regardless what the world might say and the news might tell us at nighttime, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. But, believers, listen. When He comes back, it's awesome and we're going to have joy and it's wonderful, but we will stand in front of Jesus by ourselves, In front of all, all the other believers. Not just everyone here. This is the believers who've ever trusted in Christ. We will stand in front of them in front, and before Jesus Christ, you'll be on a podium and we will give an account of our life as a Christian on this earth. It's called the Bema Seat of Judgment. The Judgment Seat of Christ. And it's not judging us, are you going to heaven or hell? No. He took us up to heaven. We're saved. But is He going to say, well done? Or is He going to say, why? I shed my blood for you. And how did you respond to that? You abused my grace. It's a motivation for us. It's not a motivation to cause us to have fear. I mean, maybe a holy fear. You know, in Revelation, it talks about Jesus having eyes of fire. Those eyes are what will be piercing into our soul. And it's not about, am I going to heaven or not at that moment? We are going to heaven. We will have joy. But some tears might be shed at the judgment seat of Christ. The tears won't be shed in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth. So a good motivation for us, for growing in sanctification, walking in the will of God, is Jesus is coming back for me, and I will give an account to Him. Now, element number three is basically the application, so this means we're almost done, okay? It's the application, and it's very basic. Element number three, decision-making while in fellowship with God. So I'm assuming you're saved. I'm assuming that you are growing. You're not perfect, right? I'm not perfect. We fall down, then let's get back up by the grace of God and go on for the glory of God. That's the Christian life. We get up, we confess our sin, and we go on for the glory of God. We continue our race. Now, how do I make decisions while I'm in fellowship with God? Question number one, how can I make decisions according to God's will? Answer, by walking in fellowship with God. Very simple, we've just taken the last half hour looking at this. By walking in fellowship with God. So, I'm growing in knowledge. This means I'm reading and I am looking at how does God want me to live. I'm I'm understanding some truth. Second, I'm growing in wisdom. Knowledge is what's going in my brain. Wisdom is how do I live it out. Okay? So am I being able to do both? Am I not only having all my, my brain gray cells being filled up with truth, am I then fleshing it out? Three, I'm growing in discernment. This is where Christians get hung up all the time. Discernment. Proverbs talks about discernment and wisdom. All of Scripture speaks of discernment for those who walk with God. It's discerning between, between truth and error. When you read a book, 
And let's say it's supposed to be a Christian book. When you read a book, can you be reading it and all of a sudden think, wait a minute, is that sentence right there true? Is that really what the Bible says or is that his opinion? Between, uh, discerning between truth and error. Secondly, discerning between good and evil. Should I hang out with my friends who were drug addicts with me before I was saved? It's a good question. Should I? I could be a witness to them. But it could also lead me into temptation. What do I do about that? Is it a sin for me to be with them? Nah, not necessarily. But is it a sin for me to fall into the sin with them? Of course. It's discerning between good and evil. Would it be better if I invited them to my place just for an hour and then I kick them out of the house? And in that hour, I have it in a controlled environment with other friends from church. I ask if uh, uh, Pastor Jeff can be there with Buddy. You know, thinking through, having discernment. Uh, discerning between better and best. This is a huge hang-up. Watching the movie is a good example. I already talked about it. Is it better to watch this movie or is the best idea not to? Or does it not ma- matter? Then, then watch the movie. Discernment. And that goes back to our knowledge of Scripture and walking in Scripture. Answer number two, by walking in fellowship with God's people. This has the idea then of counsel. If you've got a big decision in your life and you want to know what God wants you to do, talk to Pastor Bill and Pastor Jeff. Talk to uh, Jim. He's an elder. They know Scripture. They know the Word. They can pray with you. They probably will ask you right away, have you prayed about this? What does the Word of God have to say about this? Now, not only that fellowship and and that counsel, but also respect. When you come to church on Sunday morning, do you have respect for your spiritual authorities? Like Pastor Bill? That's a good way of distinguishing. Am I walking in God's will? Discerning, am I respecting the elders above me? And the last answer... Answer number three, by properly thinking through what I do know from Scripture. I've given you a few questions at the bottom of the handout. You can ask yourself these questions at any time. It doesn't really matter what decision you're trying to make. And it'll help you think through it. It helps me. And I would like to share it with you. First question, is this something I've spent adequate time praying about? Should I become a missionary to Africa? Have you prayed about it? It's a good question. Have I, have I prayed about it? Question number two, will this bring glory to God? If it won't, then why do it? Question number three, will this benefit my walk with the Lord? By associating with these people, will it drag down my reputation among believers or among unbelievers? Then I shouldn't do it. Question number four, I believe, will this benefit my testimony for Christ? Do I want Jesus Christ to find me doing this when he returns? We don't know when he's coming back for us, so he could rapture me right now standing here. Not only am I ready, but do I want him to find me doing this right now? Last of all, when I stand before Jesus Christ, will he be pleased with me in light of this? So the question before us today is a very intricate question, and there's a lot of different things someone could say about it. How do we know we're walking the path God has laid down for us? Am I saved? Am I growing in a walk with the Lord? Am I using wisdom and discernment? That's pretty much it right there. Those three questions. 
God's will for you, it's not this dot that you have to figure out and if you're not doing that, then you're out of God's will. And there's, there's a, a story I'm going to share with you for closing today. It was a, a young lady who was at Bible college. I think there's some people here who might be interested in Bible college. This young lady was at a Bible college in Florida. And her grades were up. She seemed to be walking with the Lord. She seemed to be doing great. And her teacher, who was later a teacher of mine, named Mr. Seymour, was impressed by her in class. He thought, she's a star student. She's going to, she's going to do great things for God. There was another student in class, a young man, who was not walking with God from what it seemed like. He always had his grades down, which, that's okay. But, he was always falling asleep in class. He didn't care about hearing truth. He didn't care about walking with God. And lo and behold, this young man walks up to the young lady one day and he says, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. Now, what do you immediately think, young ladies? What do you immediately think? No, right? That's what I would think. But he said, God told me. So basically, he's telling her, God's will for you is to marry me. And God told me that. What should she have done? Should she have thought about it? She said, well, you know, I'm going to have devotions tomorrow. God will tell me if I'm supposed to marry you in my devotions, and then I'll tell you at lunch tomorrow. Do you think that's a great idea? Just shaking his head, no, because she's putting a time limit on God. What if God wasn't going to show her in reading the Scripture and praying the next day? So she's reading in the book of Judges, I believe, and she reads about some guy who raised up his trumpet and blew a blast, and they all followed him. And she stopped and she thought, this guy plays the trumpet. God must be telling me I've got to follow him. So they got married. A few years went by and Mr. Seymour, who knew all of this that went on, bumped into her roommate from college at a store. And they're just chatting away and all of a sudden he goes, hey, how about that one couple that got married? How are they doing? And the roommate said, oh, you didn't hear? They got divorced. And Mr. Seymour said, Oh, no, I didn't hear that. I thought, I thought God told them both they were supposed to get married. And the roommate answered, Yeah, well, you know, she never really did love him. I just share that story with you because she's saved. She was excelling in her walk with God, but what derailed her? Trying to figure out God's will. She thought it's this dot. So she thought, oh, God wants me to marry him, so she married him. Once she was married with him, she should have stayed. Unless there was some grievous of other sins and things going on. But all of a sudden she realized, you know what, I'm done with this. I didn't really love him. I'm gone. You know, Enoch was a man characterized who walked with God. It doesn't tell us anything that he did a great thing for God. It doesn't say he became a missionary to Africa. It doesn't say he became a priest. It doesn't say he was a great war hero in the book of Genesis. It says he walked with God through his mundane life. Noah was a guy who did awesome things for God. God chose him specifically. You know, God might have that for your life. He might have a will for your life that's different than your family's. Use wisdom and discernment. Talk to Pastor Bill. Get counsel. Pray. But make the characteristic of your life 
before you think God wants you to go do something big is the characteristic of my life first and foremost having fellowship with God am I walking with God through the mundane days of our life to the big decisions of life the key to walking in God's will is maintaining our fellowship with God let's pray our Father I thank you I thank you that you're not a God who is hidden from us, a God who set the world a-spinning and steps back to let man take control. I thank you that you're a God who holds it together. You're a God who knows the end from the beginning, and you're a God who has a desire that all men come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today who hasn't done that, that they wouldn't waste another day, but place their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for those of us who have done that, that we will walk with you by your, by your help, by your strength. May we be faithful, found faithful for you. We love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming today and for bearing with me. We're dismissed.